We are in part 14 of our Called by God series, and I entitled today's message, Respecting Authority in All the Right Ways. And I want to begin by drawing your attention to the fill in the blank. And let me just give it to you right off the bat. Here's what it is. Church is God's house. Church is God's house. But if it's his house, he makes the rules. He tells us how it's supposed to go. And I wonder whether or not we are all clear that God is also the authority not only over this house, but our house. That he's not only the authority over our house, he's the authority over our lives. Is God the authority of your life? I quote Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus said to his disciples, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? You're giving me lip service. You're telling me stuff. I'm not quite sure I'm seeing that same follow through. If I am your Savior, then I am your Lord. If I am your Lord, then I get to call the shots. That's how it works. And I constantly realize that in my personal life, I'm learning every day and have to search every day what surrender means. Because there are so many areas still in my life, and I think in all of our lives, that we say, Lord, I've given you so much, that area right there, we'll talk about it later. Isn't that kind of our attitude? Like, I don't want to address that right now. That's not an area I'm ready to give up. That's not an area I can really handle right now. Lord, I don't want to touch on that forgiveness issue with that person. I don't want to deal with this particular habitual sin. I don't know if I really will ever be free from this bondage. And we tell God, no. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Master, Master, but do not give me freedom to be the master of your life? Man, in God's house, he should be able to tell us what's going on. He should be the one running it. This should be the most healthy, vibrant, wonderful place is in the house of God. Because it should be run by his directives, right? But sometimes church leadership, whether it's our church leadership or any church leadership... Sometimes we start treating it like it's our house. We start making the rules. We don't submit to what God wants. If you have been burned by the church, it was not Jesus' fault. You all following me? It was man's fault. It was woman's fault. It was not God's fault. And here's what I'm going to be digging into. There's going to be two sides to this. On one hand... We need to learn to have a culture of honor and respect for authority in the church. On the other hand, your wounds that you are carrying around because mankind has hurt you and what they did was wrong. You cannot allow that to stop you from walking with your Jesus. And we need to balance those two things out. So we're going to hit right into the center of it. What is a culture of honor? It is a place where authority, proper authority, is respected properly. 
Well, what does that mean? It means that when you come into a church, and I have to encourage you on this, you can only really observe a church for a couple weeks. Then you're part of the church. See, in our hearts, we try to play this game where we're not accountable because we're really not a part of the church yet. That's just you making stuff up. If you keep coming here and you partake of what's going on here and you listen to what is happening here, you're a part of this church. If you're a part of this church, you're submitting under the leadership of this church. Ah, we don't like being under anybody's authority. We live in a world where it doesn't matter whether or not the president of the United States says something about us. We're going to consider it an opinion. You understand what I'm saying? We live in a world today where all authority is suspect. Doesn't matter whether it's the police. Doesn't matter whether or not it's civic. Doesn't matter whether or not it is government. Doesn't matter whether or not it is clergy. Whatever. Everybody is suspect. And we believe that we are truly the masters of our own lives. And we do not want to submit to anyone. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's a blessing to submitting. If you submit under the authority that God has given you, then he will take care of the leadership. If you are in consistent rebellion to leadership, he'll just leave it on your shoulders. Right? Let me give you an example. Abraham. You got Abraham and Sarah, right? Sarah submitted under Abraham's leadership, her husband. And he was kind of not awesome. Uh, if you, do you remember the, the time when his wife was 60 years old and she was so hot everybody wanted her? Do you remember this? And so he decides, oh no, I'm going to get my life in jeopardy. So he starts saying it's his sister, so no one will kill him for it. That was an awesome move. Thanks, husband. Just throws her out there. Hey, honey, I'm sure it'll be fine. Right? Then what happens? God comes in and defends her. Why? Because she submitted under the leadership. You go, but it was poor leadership. Hey, I agree with you. She submitted under the leadership and God took care of it. What did David do with King Saul? Submitted under his leadership. What did God do? Took care of it. What did Sarah do the second time she was too awesome and hot at 80? And her husband screwed it up again. She submitted under his leadership. What did God do? He came in to defend Here's the bottom line. If you don't consider anyone your authority, you're on your own to defend yourself. If you submit under the authority, God will then defend you and will jump up and say, you don't treat my people like that. They're trusting you. And so when we create a culture of honor, there is a blessing that comes along with it and an accountability to the leadership. But I will tell you this. God always takes too long to correct the bad guys. Isn't that how it feels? Man, I submitted to that church and that leadership was bogus and they were constantly hurting people. I eventually had to leave. And they're still around, right? You're not looking at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is God's not done. See, God doesn't just let things go. He watches and maneuvers. He extends grace. Thank the Lord. We want it for us, right? But he also holds accountable his leadership. 
And that's what we're going to talk about a lot today. Because church leadership has not always followed Jesus, we have a lot of wounds, a lot of pain, a lot of hurting. Maybe God will heal some of that today. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. I love it when the Bible is practical, don't you? Man, when it just cuts to the chase. I don't like beating around the bush. Just tell me what's up, right? Uh, my staff and all my leaders that are closest to me, they know this. If you got something to tell me that's heavy, drop the bomb in the first three seconds. I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to have to guess. Because whatever I'm guessing while you're hemming and hawing is way worse than the truth. If you come into my office and you merely want to say, I think I screwed up on a reimbursement, I'm already naming you an axe murderer. I'm already naming, I mean, I have so many bad things in my head, right? So if you have something to say, just say it. Don't let me go off on it, right? Well, in the same way, I love it when the Bible just jumps right to it and hits it hard. That's what we're going to do right now. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. I'm going to read through 17 and 18, and we'll talk about it. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor, who work hard, who toil in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says in Deuteronomy 25, 4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 7, the laborer deserves his wages. All right, what? What's a cow got to do with this? Well, let's dive into it. What's an elder? Without getting into all the details, here's all you need to know. Executive, senior, pastoral leadership. Whoever's running the church, that's who they're talking about right there. Back then, it was a smaller church. It was a different structure than it is today. But I want you to picture people like me, people like Pastor Parnell Lovelace, Pastor Brian Kiley, that, that the senior leaders that are making decisions for the church that are full-time ministry folks. That's an elder that we're talking about in this context. Let the elders who rule well. That means there's a job performance demand. It don't matter if you go, well, we're all in church. I'm just going to kind of mail it in. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just do my thing. We're all brothers, right? No, I expect a lot from you. You're going to come in and you're going to work for the church. You better have a hardcore work ethic, right? You better come in and be strong. We're good. Do what's necessary. All right. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. What's double honor? Well, I want you to think the term honorarium. It means wages. It means make sure that these leaders get paid, and they don't just get paid, they get paid well. Why? Well, let's take a look a little further. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What is going on here? What's the point? Why is Paul telling Timothy this? Well, there's a number of things going on in the background, but let's talk about what it means. It means simply this. 
the preachers and teachers, the people that are tirelessly trying to lead and guide the church are building up the body, which is increasing everyone's ability to funnel through the kingdom of God, their funds and build the church. Therefore, you got to make sure that they have a part of that or else they grow bitter and sad. Well, he uses an example. Now, in today's world, if anybody said, you know, it's like an oxen treading out grain. Okay, nobody knows what that means. Back then, they were like, yep, I always get that one, right? (laughs) Okay, they're in agriculture, so let's tell the story. It's pretty easy. They dealt a lot with harvesting things like barley and wheat, any types of grains. And what would happen is that the grain stalk grows up, but the head of the grain is up on top. So you could go through and scoop it up in your hands and you don't want to automatically put it in your mouth because it has a little seed covering called a husk. So if you wanted to eat the grain, you can smash it in your hands, rub it together and you blow away all the husk and you have seed left and you can put it in your mouth. That's awesome if you only have a handful. What if you have hundreds of pounds of it? How are you going to do that quickly? Well, they obviously needed to mass produce. So they would put an ox and all the harvest into like a half wall container where the guy, the ox couldn't get out. They put a little gate door on it. They'd maybe tie him to a pole in the middle and all day long, the ox crushes it. He walks around in a circle, super boring, lame job. I get it, right? Thankfully, there was no oxen unions or labor unions at the time. You know, it's like, this is a stupid job. Why am I here? Anyway, as they're walking around, they're crushing it down. At the end of the day, they take the pitchfork, they throw it up in the air. All the husk blows away. They have seed. They can gather it. All right. Makes sense. But here's the thing. As the ox is working his long, boring day, he needs a snack. He needs to have lunchtime. But nobody's going to give him a break. What does he eat? The very thing he's walking on. That's a drag, right? Because if somebody puts a muzzle on him and they're like, well, I don't want him to eat any of it. I don't, it's all for me. Do you understand how frustrating that would be while the whole time he's walking on his meal, starving, looking down at the food? It's just rude. <laughs> so they said, Don't put a muzzle on him because he needs to periodically walk around and just go, you know what? I'm hungry. And he just starts chowing down on his wheat, right? Now, Jesus clarified it and made it easier. He said, if you're not into oxen, let me just say it this way. Laborers deserve their wages. Why is he talking about this? It is possible that everyone was challenging Timothy And saying he didn't need to be paid for what he was doing. So Paul was instituting a rule. Do not take advantage of your leadership. You've got to honor them well. Now, I believe in this church, this has always been an honoring thing. So there's no correction or rebuke here. You all are very honoring and kind. I do think that as we've been talking about. We need to increase in our culture of honor in a slightly different way. I think that you are very kind and generous with your uh, wages here. We as a staff, I feel like I get paid wonderfully to be here. I think we need to grow in the areas of respect. Here's why. There are some of us that come into church 
and we do believe that we are observers. We do believe that we're just coming in and we're going to consider what the leadership says. There is a reason why God put the leadership in place that he put into place. And what needs to happen is that we need to take that authority seriously. There will be a blessing if you do. But too many of us are discipled by everything outside the church. So when we come inside the church, we're simply ready to argue. For example, there are a lot of you that are discipled far more by politics than you are by the kingdom of God. There are a lot of you that are far more discipled by other pastors on podcasts than you are your local leadership. So when we need to bring in correction or we need to bring in some thoughts about how we're going to change our lives, you'll say, mm, that's not for me. Are you in this house? Then it is for you, right? We have to have some respect and honor to say there better be a really good reason why you would push back on leadership and say, I don't think I want to do that anymore. Ah, better be a good biblical reason, right? Because if we're all going to grow together as a family, there has to be a unity and a direct vision and everybody on the same page. So I think we're growing in a culture of honor for sure. But when you walk in, we got to walk in with humble hearts and say, Lord, what are you directing me to do? That usually comes through leadership. Now, there are safeguards in case the leadership's not listening to the Lord, and that's where we'll spend a lot of our time, okay? But we got that down, yeah? All right, good. Excellent. Go down to verse 19. As Deuteronomy 17:6 and 19:15 says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. What type of charge? An accusation. An accusation that the leadership is somehow in violation of God's law. And somehow in violation of human responsibility. That they are not somehow either loving or honest that somehow something's going on that is fishy, it's not right, you cannot admit a charge against a senior leadership of the church without evidence and proof. Why? Because allegation and accusation is really damaging. The word don't admit a charge means don't give heavy consideration to it. You've got to let it go. You cannot just hang on to it. You cannot just believe it because somebody said it. So this leads me into talking about the idea of what? Rumor, gossip, right? I think we're all real clear if we've been in the church for any length of time. We're all really clear that we shouldn't gossip. Yeah, everybody's good on that one. They're like, all right, I got that one. Cool. Okay, here's the part I want to add to you. I also need you to have a filter with your friends. I need you to have a filter on what goes into your ears. It's not only what comes out of your mouth. And, and here's why. Because if somebody tells you something, you can't just unhear it. I call it sliming. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Somebody jumped something on you and now you got to wrestle with it. Whether it's true or not. Later on, they may go, oh, you know what? I was probably wrong about that. Well, now it's on me, and I'm carrying it around. Let me give you an example. 
one of the people that you know in church gets into a conversation. Let's say you're waiting in the kids' way line. And they point out and they go, you see that guy over there? He's a predator. What are you going to do with that? Because you can't just dismiss it, can you? You're not just going to ignore it. You're going to now go, oh my gosh, what do I do? Now all of a sudden you're suspicious. Now all of a sudden you're trying to watch that person all the time. What if they heard wrong and pointed out the wrong guy? What if there was no actual basis, in fact? And later on they go, yeah, I was totally wrong about that guy. Sorry about that. You can't just unknow that, right? And so it slimes you. Here's my point. How do we filter what other people are going to say? All right, I'm going to suggest this to you. You can do it however you want to do it. But I want to be honest. We all have a lot of friends and acquaintances. Some of our friends, when they say something, you know they don't mess around. You know they are accurate. They have a very strong high ethic for truthfulness. When they say it, you can take it to the bank. You know what I'm talking about? You all maybe have one or two friends like that where it's like, oh, They don't talk a whole lot, but when they talk, whoa, that's solid. Yeah? All right. When they share something with you, you need to pay attention. Then we all have the fun friends. You all know what fun friends are? They're the ones that always want to tell you the new information first. Right? They're the ones constantly talking. Everything's exaggerated. Everything's moving forward. Those are the people you need to filter fastest. You need to push it back a little bit. And when they start spewing some garbage, here's what I need you to say. Hey, hon, totally appreciate time with you. You've got to hang on. You can't, I can't hear that right now. You've got to put some filters and not just let them vent on you. Because you're not going to be able to unhear it. So, it says, do not admit a charge against an elder without two or three witnesses. So that's kind of how... The Jewish old school way worked in the court system. You had to have two or three witnesses that said, yep, that is legitimate. So are there real problems in church leadership today? Absolutely. But there's two ways to abuse authority. One way and the way that I tend to get really vicious about is I don't like when senior leaders abuse people that they guide over. That really, really bothers me. So, for example, I tend to rail on it from the stage. You know, oh, there's an abuse of authority. I'm going to manipulate you because I'm your authority. I don't have any patience for that. But in the same way, there's a reverse abuse of authority where people in the church just don't like what that leader is saying. So they begin and start rumors about them and try to weed them out. That is unacceptable in the house of God. And you can't be a part of that. You don't want that on you because if it ever clears and you were part of rooting out someone that God put in place, you're going to run into some dangerous discipline from the Lord. We don't want to do that. Hmm. Let me let me just say this. Here we go. Let's let's move on. Because I think the second part balances it out. Verse 20. As for those elders who persist in sin actively living in it refusing correction rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear whoa public discipline public correction that's crazy now 
If I didn't say the word elder in there, you may have misread that and went, oh, the church is teaching everybody's sin needs to be publicly corrected. But what's the context? Context is leadership. If it is a public sin, it needs to be a public correction. If it is a leadership sin, there needs to be a leadership correction. Why? Because leaders don't just affect themselves. They affect all kinds of people. He said, so what I want you to do is if they are belligerent, they will not receive correction. I need you to stand up before the congregation and say, this is unacceptable. They are not allowed to behave like this. We're not behind them. And you go, wow, that's kind of brutal. All right. A couple things. Let's talk about how to deal with sin because it just says those that persist in sin. Real quick, kind of a little primer on on dealing with sin. Sin always has two components, vertical and horizontal impact. Vertical is an impact between you and God. Horizontal is your impact with people. We always say, well, that sin doesn't affect anyone else. It's just me and God. Uh, It's hard-pressed to find any sin that doesn't affect other people. Sin always affects other people. But when you're dealing with God... There are two parts to dealing with sin. So let's just deal with the vertical first. Right off the bat, when you're going to deal with sin in your life, let's say you sin against God. You know you are out of line. There's two pieces to this. Number one, it needs to begin with an identity based in Jesus Christ on the cross. For example, when you look at your sin and what you just did, You do not allow the guilt and shame from the enemy to come in and say, now God hates you. We can't play that game. It begins with a solid identity that says, my spirit is pure and holy and righteous and good. Why? Because of Jesus dying for my sins. He has made my spirit the true part of me, the very essence of who I am. He has transformed me into his image and I am now a child of God and even if I sin I'm not going to cease to be a child of God right that's where we begin but we don't stop there why because the Bible also says confess your sins why would you confess something that's already been paid for because of the relational disruption here's what I mean that when you sin You are basically saying to God, God, I don't want you as my authority of my life. I don't want you acting like that. I don't want to treat you like you're my dad. I just want to be who I am. I'm going to be independent. That rebellious spirit distorts the relationship between you and God. The only way to restore it back is what? To say, I own it and I'm sorry. And you guys go, is this hard to grasp? It's what you do with your kids. All the time. When your kids do something wrong against you, you said, don't do that, they do that. You're going to come in with discipline. Why? Could you hate them? No. Because you can't let that behavior go. Is that correct? All right. But when you come in to correct them, they should always know that they're still your child. Shouldn't they? Like even if you're coming in with discipline, even hard discipline, They should never have to fear that you're going to disown them, correct? But they still have to own up to what they did. They still have to confess, 
you're absolutely right. You told me not to do that. I did that. I accept the consequences. What that does is it allows you as a parent to shift out of correction mode into joyful mode. Does that make sense? The relationship writes itself. And now we are back okay with each other. Same thing with God. When we sin, God is taking care of the most important part, but we still have a disruption, do we not? So we have to confess and open up. All right, that's just the vertical. What about the horizontal? Because here's the thing. Some people will hurt other people and they go, well, I'm good with God. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me, right? We got all that kind of stuff. I'm pointing to tattoos I don't have. But anyway... I usually see it in a tattoo. That's why, you know, only God can judge me. All right, here's the thing. Here's the bottom line. Everyone goes, well, I'm good with God. Well, that's cool. You ain't good with me. Because here, the disruption also occurred on the horizontal plane. So until we clear the air, we're not good. The only way to get there is confession. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. What was the point? I can't let it go until we address the situation. I'm not just going to move on. We can't just move on. I want to bear all things, believe all things, and hope all things with you. But you hurt me. You violated me. Therefore, we got to talk about it. Then we can heal. So with all this sin, we need to get our vertical clear and our horizontal clear. He said, all right, for those elders who persist belligerently in disobedience... After being corrected, you rebuke them in the presence of all, so the rest may stand in fear. All right? Let's go personal, yeah? I've been here for a really long time. I've had to walk this out multiple times of my friends. Are you clear what I'm talking about? Let's make it super personal. I've had to do this, talk about it in front of everybody else say those things, right? And there are pros and cons to it. I'll tell you, every time it happens, it rips my guts out. It's not what I want to do. Of course, I want to be honest and transparent. I know there's pros to public correction. I know that's how it needs to be. As a matter of fact, here's the pros. You ready? Safety is restored because everyone goes, oh, they're not just going to let it go, right? Safety is restored. Light is brought into the situation. Everybody is warned, right? Going, we're not going to allow this behavior in senior leaders. We're not going to allow it in anybody. Trust is restored, is it not? All right. And you go, man, that's good. And there's a bunch of personalities in here that are like, yeah, nail them to the cross. You know, that kind of thing, right? <laughs> Justice. Okay. All right. Your tune might change if it's you, but that's all right. Here's the cons of public correction. Rumors start that didn't start before because now it always comes into what didn't they say. They did say this. What didn't they say? Doubt is created where it didn't ha happen before. New people that weren't even a part of it get slimed in the process, right? Because now they're like, uh, I just got to this church and now you're talking about something weird. All right. And innocents get drug into it. Why should their children have to answer in youth group to other kids because their parents' sin went public? Y'all following me? Okay, so it's messy. Thank the Lord, right now I'm not having to do any of this stuff. And we can just talk about it theoretically. But it has been very practical. 
And I can guarantee if you've been in the church for over 10 years, you've seen it happen, either healthy or unhealthy. Yeah? And everybody, some personalities are like, I know there was a cover-up. Some personalities are like, they said too much. There is no right way to do this, y'all. But it needs to be corrected out loud because of the standard that we hold for leaders. Here's a personal example. Some counselors tell you this. I think it's wise. Have you noticed that kids tend to see their parents argue, but their parents, they don't get to see them make up? Because here's how it normally happens. You go head to head with your spouse and you, it starts getting stirred up. The kids are around. You realize the kids are around. You already said a bunch of harsh things. And so you and your spouse go upstairs and finish the conversation behind closed doors. You then emerge out and tell the kids, we're good. How the heck did that happen? You went into the magic door. <laughs> you came out and everything's fine. The kids haven't processed anything. They just saw what happened. They felt all the tension and everyone said, move on. Is that really a healthy way to train them? What if they have to get married someday? They go, I guess we just go through a magic door. Because <laughs> they never, they got to see the problem. They didn't get to see the resolution. Well, once again, when it comes to church leadership, they will publicly mess up where it screws up a bunch of people. And then sometimes the church is very tempted to not talk about any of it, go behind closed doors and fix the situation. The problem is no one gets to reconcile it. So you walk this fine balance between accountability and privacy. You understand what I mean? But it's important to do that so that everyone knows, every one of the kids know that the parents either made up or had to be corrected. It's important, but it's terrible. I'll just tell you that. The last thing I'll say on that is church discipline is always for the purpose of restoration, if possible. Now, you still may have to hold boundaries for years and years and years because that person is still too toxic to be brought back in. But... It's always for the purpose of restoration, not simply revenge. Can we agree on that? All right, fantastic. Let's pick it up in verse 21. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. What did he just say? Hey, Timothy, you're going to handle some pretty brutal situations. Examine all the evidence, buddy. Do not automatically go, oh, I know what's going on. No, you don't know what's going on. You wait till everything is out. You hear both sides. And don't you dare show partiality. Just because they're a friend of yours, you've got to do the same thing with both people. You don't get to do for one what you don't do for another. You don't get to show partiality. If you're doing that, you're out of line. But I need, And you go, why did he bring up the angels? What, in the presence of God and Jesus and the angels? Well... How many witnesses? One, two, and three. That was his point. And because the angels are part of the great cloud of witnesses. Do you remember that phrase? That's what it means. All right, well, let's, let's finish this out in verse 22, moving forward. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. What does that mean? What's the context? Leadership in sin. 
leadership, good or bad. All right? Do not be quick in commissioning and ordaining leadership in the church. And if other people are trying to rush someone through because it's their buddy, you do not automatically sign off. We need good, healthy leaders examined before they ever minister to the flock. Is that correct? Isn't that what you want as a congregation? Absolutely you do. But you have to do it in your own personal life too. This isn't just church leadership. All this stuff applies to you. It applies to you at work. It applies to you at home. It applies to you at school. It applies to you with your friends. All this stuff applies, right? If everybody else wants to do it, doesn't mean you got to do it. You have to do what God leads you to do. All right. Then look at verse 23. It's almost like a side note. Speaking of leadership and everybody harassing leadership, here's what Paul says. Hey, Timothy, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. What? What is that doing here? <laughs> hey, buddy, real quick, the IBS thing, dude, on the down low. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, you know, little Pepto, that kind of stuff. Just trying to help you out here, buddy. Okay, what is his point? His point is simply this. Timothy, you're caving to everyone's pressures about leaders have to be perfect. They're not going to be perfect. And so now everyone's like, oh, you're a raging alcoholic. You know, okay, stop. He's not a raging alcoholic. Here's what happened. Their water in the ancient world was garbage. It had little tiny creepy paramecium critters in it. And so they drink it and it'd give them Montezuma's revenge. So what they needed to do was purify out the critters. How do you kill critters? You pour alcohol into it and the critters can't swim anymore. They're all gone. Bye-bye. So they would mix their water with wine and the alcohol content would kill the bad stuff. It was a way of purifying their water. Yeah? But Timothy is so nervous about what everybody thinks. He's drinking straight water and he's already not super strong. And so he's completely wrecking his system by caving to pressure. Paul said, knock it off. Dude, everybody, your character will show. Nobody's worried about that. So let me just tell you real quick about Bridgeway's view of alcohol. We are not, I'm scared of alcohol church. That is not us. I'm not interested in everybody running around. Oh my goodness, they had a drink in their hand and it's like it has a demon in it. It's going to come out. Ah, it's going to kill them. <laughs> come on. What Bridgeway has always been about is wisdom, maturity, and watching out for each other. That's what we're about. So, there's some of you in this room, you got no business being anywhere near alcohol, and you know it. There's others of you that you don't have the freedom to have alcohol because the people around you can't handle that, and that is not okay. You're triggering them every time you have your hand on a drink. There are others of you, doesn't matter, it's just like iced tea for you. You're not doing it to get drunk, you're not doing it to get buzzed, it's just a beverage to you. Whatever. All I'm trying to tell you is that we are not interested in crazy, weird rules, regulations, legalism. But we're always interested in wisdom. We're always interested in holiness. We're always interested in watching out for each other. Yeah? All right. That's what we need to be doing. Let's finish this out. 24 and 25. Now, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment. But the sins of others, they appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, even those that are not cannot remain hidden what's the point stuff comes out there you go and if you don't give it time you're not going to know the truth 
Let me use this as an analogy. I always tell everybody that is single, that is dating, you better be dating for at least a year before we even start talking about marriage. Why? Because anyone can keep up the best version of themselves for six to nine months. You're not going to know. Now, are you still ultimately gambling? Sure you are. You're, you're dealing with another human being, right? But here's what's important, and I'll just call it as it is. You need to know what kind of baggage you're buying, right? Now, that sounds rough, right? Uh, once again, I'm not Mr. Romantic. That's clear. <laughs> hey, babe, let's just hang out so I can find out what baggage I'm buying, right? That's just not make your heart go flutter, right? You know. But here's the thing. The reason why I say it that way is because when you marry someone, you are owning their challenges. You just need to know which challenges you're owning. Here's what happens if you don't. You get in a fight. It comes out. You go, I didn't sign up for this. You know the problem? Yeah, you did. You did sign up for this. You just didn't know you were signing up for this. We have to do full examination of people that we are tied to. Why? We just need to know what we're dealing with. If you go, oh, I found flaws. Hey, congratulations. <laughs> you didn't even need to scratch past the surface, right? That's all you're going to get. What I'm telling you is let's just be clear on what we're walking into. In the same way, we need to be clear with leaders. We need to examine them and find out what's going on. We need to be able to be wise and listen to all the evidence. That's really, really hard, you guys. It's really, really hard for me. It's really, really hard for our elder team. It's tough. But we always want the best, healthiest leadership to guide and direct so that you don't have a problem submitting to the leadership here. We want you to willingly say, absolutely, you guys, we're running right with you. We'd love to be under your leadership. But we're not perfect, right? And so I'm going to close out by having the prayer team. Can you come on up here? I want to close out with a couple thoughts. The first one is this. We're never going to have a perfect balance in this church about grace versus what rules. But I'm always going to lead this church to err on the side of grace rather than legalism. Because I believe God does that with us. So I'm always going to lean a little bit more towards saying, you know what, we're all broken. We've got to have room to breathe. We have to have room to move. Now, we'll bring in correction on the important stuff, but ultimately... We're not going to walk around being the moral police. There are some of you that are going to go, I can't believe it. Did you see what's going on in the church? Yeah, we probably did. We probably know more of the story than you know. So let's be careful on that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we close out and the prayer team is up here. Here's what I want to bring out. And this is the most important part. There are some of you that have been at this church, Bridgeway, for I don't know what, 19 months, two and a half years, six years, and you're still waiting for us to blow it and confirm the fact that the church is bogus and you still haven't plugged in. That is no way to live. We've got to get that stuff healed. If every time I'm talking about church leadership, all that's flashing up are all these warning signs and I remember my last church split, and I remember that my last pastor embezzled, and I remember that my last pastor did this. Here's what I need you to know. We're not those guys. 
we're new broken guys. Right? <laughs> Not the same sin, it's just different sin. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but the honesty of the whole thing is, guys, please don't let mankind hijack your walk with Jesus. And please don't carry around hurts and wounds that Jesus wants to heal. I want you to be able to come and go and be proud of being in the church and excited about supporting the church. I don't want the enemy being able to press on one thing and getting to bounce you out of church easy. That's not okay with me. We've got to heal. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray for this prayer team and this altar that before you leave today, if you have any church wounds, I need you to get it washed. I need you to get it cleansed. I need you to get it healed. Right here, right now, that's what it's for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace and kindness towards each and every one of us. And Lord, as much as we want to be graceful, grace-filled, kind, Lord, we also know about accountability. And there's things that have happened in our lives to us, to people we love, that we thought, Lord, these are wrong. God, you're not saying that they were right. You're saying, now what? So, Lord, we can't carry around the pain piece. We can't give Satan a foothold to knock us out of church whenever he wants. We can't be carrying this weight on our back and still worship with our arms raised. So, God, I'm praying that today would be the day that you would cut off all that garbage off our backs. That, Lord, that you would knit together the broken little pieces of our soul. I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint this altar to be a place of healing and cleansing. And this, word, this prayer team, God, to be able to just pour out their prayer over us. And in that prayer, you move. It's not the right words. It's going to the right God. So, Lord, we are saying yes to you, yes to your healing, yes to your freedom. Lord, we need to be whole. So would you anoint our team, anoint this place, so we do not leave wounded, but we leave healed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week.